Today is October 18th, 2022. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Jestokom Aki, or De Kots Nagotine Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake Tribe in Treaty 11. My name is Dekots Nogotine Siku. My people wore rabbit skin and it's been referred to as the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning big dog town, many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower, a daughter of the American Revolution, while having a Canadian uh, Indian Act imposed status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous people, but I share my journey as I walk the red road. As a Dene woman who has attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have work to continue, reports to advocate for, and I attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today, I hope we honor the many Indigenous lives lost for the so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation, and as a treaty partner. Pride should never be one month. It's important to understand that the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous people, as well as honoring the host as the guest, acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important land acknowledgements have that meaning. I encourage all people to introduce themselves with their acknowledgement of their ancestors, story of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee or other land displacement, so that we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around for myself, my family, and my community. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why as settlers and those who call themselves Native Calgarians, or whatever town you're from, you actually show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Uh, Jesse Winty's book, Unreconciled, explains this perfectly, as do so many other Indigenous authored books and articles. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, but that would also be a part of that treaty relationship, part of meaningful reconciliation and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce it in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to all the elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed US Canadian border are the Blackfeet, North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chinooki Bearspaw Nations of the Stony, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. 
If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So today, I'm really excited to have a friend uh, join us today. His name is Colby. Colby, would you like to introduce yourself in your way? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michelle. That was uh, a wonderful introduction um, and uh, respectful approach to, to talking about our community and our people and our champions. <clears throat> my name is Colby Delorme. Uh, my Indigenous name is Ostimao Napio. That's uh, Cree for tobacco man. Uh, I am a, uh, a Métis person. Uh, my family comes from the Fisher Branch uh, area of Manitoba in the Red River Valley. Uh, I was, I am lucky enough uh, to have um, an amazing um, Métis lineage. Uh, my grandfather was uh, 72 years old when he fathered my mother, uh, Dr. Marie Delorme. Uh, so she had this wonderful beginning in her life to to be able to listen to a man who spoke uh, uh, Cree, Machif, English, and French. Um, was able to show her trapping, um, you know, cooking with um, with traditional foods, and just being able to show her not in an academic way but in a way of being what it was to be a Métis person. And uh, luckily enough, as she got back to her, uh, to her heritage, I was able um, to come on that journey and, and be able to learn about our community, our people and, and where we come from. Uh, I'm also of Black ancestry. My father's from Trinidad, Tobago but our family are actually Bayesian people. So we're from, from Barbados. Um, uh, my... I'm so embarrassed to tell you, Kobe. I didn't know you were part Black. I'm yeah. so embarrassed to tell you that. <laughs> oh, no, and I don't, it's not that I don't talk about it. It's that in our community, you know, um, almost all of my focus, whether it's my personal life or my business or, you know, my social responsibility is primarily in the Indigenous community because unfortunately I didn't really have a connection to my father. So luckily enough, I've got siblings on my father's side. I've got lots of siblings and uh, we, uh, you know, I get to be able to talk uh, you know, about my my Black heritage there, but because I wasn't raised in it and my mother wasn't going to inappropriately try to teach me what it is to be a Black person or a Black man, um, it ends up not being a, a bigger part of my life. But, you know, when you talked about this learning of us learning about our community, learning how to pronounce, uh, learning how to be, you know, I, I, it really resonates with me. I, I too am learning and I, I find it unique when I hear even Indigenous people pay homage or respect to their European roots now when they describe themselves. And I'm finding that that is becoming more and more important to me to be able to describe all that makes me who I am or all where I where I come from. Um, I spend uh, a lot of my time um, in my professional life. Uh, I don't I don't have my own nuclear family. I you know I've got a wonderful family with my mother an extended family, but I don't have any children of my own. Um, so I spend a lot of time uh, professionally working in my business. I have a company called the Imagination Group of Companies that uh, I'm in partnership with my mother. Uh, so this wonderful, wonderful partner and a journey that I've been able to, to be on uh, pro both professionally and personally, uh, we're really close. Um, the A lot of my other time I spend in uh my work in community um 
You know, I was taught from a young age that if you have the opportunity to give, to return, to support, um, then you do that. Uh, so uh, I, I've got the the for the the fortune to be able to um, to have people in my organization who help to deliver on our services, which allows to free some of my time so that I can uh, give back to community. And I, I do that primarily uh, through not-for-profit governance work, um, trying to create opportunity, uh, both, um, uh, both from an economic standpoint, but, but also through sort of sharing this idea of what it is to bridge, you know, Indigenous cultures with Western cultures and, you know, just all of really uh, society. So uh, I think that's the way I would describe, you know, sort of my my focuses in my life. And, and I'm finding more and more that my passions lie around the idea of me playing a role and trying to elevate others' opportunity to be able to um, to to be to maybe to create more equitable spaces um for us to live so i think i think that's the way i would I, i'd like to describe myself mm, well that's a great way to do it i really appreciate you describing that and for folks who are tuning in and listening i just wanted to say i have the deepest respect for the work that colby has been doing in and around community I've been watching been lucky enough to watch on like linkedin and such uh some of the initiatives see your your name pop up on many articles so you know to me um it's the very least I should be doing is is trying to give back. So I really resonated with what you said about if you have the opportunity, do it. And um, and then on the flip side, I've been trying to be kinder to myself when I recognize I don't always have have that many opportunities for a reason. And, and that's OK. That's meant for somebody else, too. And to me, the more voices at the table, the better. And sometimes if I say it, it might come better from if you say it and vice versa, depending on, on where people are. So I, I just hope, you know, we have a deep respect for what you do in the community. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have a book from your mom. Does that sound right that your mom published? Um, she, ha she hasn't published a, a, a book per se. She's a, she's a PhD. So she has a, um, a published uh, her um, her her dissertation. Um, so uh, it's it's maybe one of the only areas I know something that she would like to do is to write a book. Um, but uh, it's probably the one one of very few accomplishments she hasn't made in her life. She just uh, the the most amazing most amazing person I've ever met. And and to you likewise, uh, Michelle, I get to see the work you do in our community and. You know, had the the opportunity to be able to moderate a session on uh, September 30th with you and your daughter, and you know that was that was wonderful to to uh, to be able to see the two of you share your thoughts and your belief and your experiences on the same stage side by side, and to hear that that evolution of uh, of the the family and you know those those beliefs and you know it, it allowed me you know, an opportunity while I was listening to sort of reflect on what that looks like when my mother and I do that, mm. you know, we're, we're very similar and uh, we get similar opportunities and uh, really special. Uh, so, yeah. So thank you for all that you do. Oh, thank you. No, I feel really honored to hear that. And um, yeah, just to brag as a mom, I was really proud of my daughter. She spoke in front of hundreds of people. There were, must have been hundreds of people at Prince Asylum Park. And a huge uh, thank you to you and all the organizers for all the work, because there were so many wonderful things that happened that day. And it was such an honor to be a part of it in that way. So thank you so much for you and the organizers and all the work you have to do behind the scenes and then in the moment. It's so stressful some days. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. So thank you. Um, yeah, so tell me a bit about more about the group that you're with, because I, I really, um, I know for me, we tried to connect a bit when I was talking to um, 
I worked for a group called chaos and we were really trying to push the Canada learning bond. And I just kept Googling and I was like, I got to talk to Colby. And it just didn't work out at the time because of the stupid pandemic and a million other reasons. But I know for me, I have a lot of uh, passion for post-secondary and I know you do too. So I'd love for you to talk a bit about what it is that you, you, you do with the imagination group and, and see if we can uh, get it out there to the community of the importance of what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, to, to, to more clearly describe um, what, what the work that we do with um, Indigenous post-secondary uh, students is actually another organization that uh, myself, a fellow named Bruce Randall, and another fellow named Jay Gerritsen, um, co-founded in 2014. It's called Influence Mentoring Society. And uh, Influence uh, was, was sort of the, the initial brainchild of actually Bruce. Bruce had joined um, Kauai, the Calgary Urban Aboriginal Initiative. And we all, the three of us and other individuals sat on the uh, employment domain. So there were eight domains within Kauai, and they were all designed to address the barriers that Indigenous, Indigenous people face within the urban setting of Calgary. And these are not specific to Calgary. They are uh, broad barriers that all Indigenous people are facing across Canada, whether it be urban or um, uh, rural. Um, so what what occurred Bruce joined and Bruce a really passionate guy and at the time he had just uh, been a few years into being the the inaugural uh, executive director for an organization called Cryac uh, uh, and Cryac is a mentorship program for newcomers who are professional uh, professionals who are newcomers to Calgary uh, from outside of Canada. And what they what they are doing is they are taking these newcomers and they are matching them to mentors who are from the same discipline or career path as they are. So of course, an individual can come from Nigeria who's a lawyer who is trying to figure out how to become a lawyer in Canada and specifically with that program in Calgary. And Bruce was saying, as he was learning more and more about the BIPOC community, that he felt that there was a lot of similarities to the barriers that newcomers faced uh, that in the Indigenous community in Canada was facing. And I had never heard that before. I thought that was such a unique uh, perspective. And it was one that I couldn't even speak of. And he sort of was talking about this. He says, well, I'd love for you to come to our events. We have all of these uh, coffee session, roundtable sessions and, you know, co coffee conversations. And, you know, it's just a wonderful um, opportunity to hear and to be able to lend some uh, ideas about how these people might be able to integrate into our society and we could play a role and shortening the gestation period for them to be able to have moved here and get back into their chosen career. I said, absolutely. So I go to this. And what was so interesting is Bruce has got this fantastic way of conducting and moderating conversation. And the approach that he took in launching that organization, or at least running the organization, was to use the idea of volunteerism in order for these individuals to become integrated into the Calgary society. I thought, well, that's interesting. So someone's come here, they need help in getting sort of engaged in the community. And Bruce's first approach was, you go out, you help the community, and that's going to help you to be able to become integrated. And I thought, I have never heard that before. Now, I don't think it's a unique concept. I think we all do that in different ways, but he was articulating it in that way. Sure. 
So I'm starting to listen to these stories. I thought, well, this is just fantastic. And of course, many of these people were saying, in our country, don't, we don't even have a word for volunteer. And I thought, oh, I've never heard that either. But what actually occurred was you get engaged in the new community that you're in. People are amazed that you're giving and you're actually in a positioning of needing <laughs> and that people want to help. So, you know, I get involved with Cryac and, you know, I just loved all the people that I have met over the years. But Bruce says, I think there's an opportunity to do this in the Indigenous community. So Bruce at this point has been reaching out to all sorts of Indigenous people within the Calgary area and getting their ideas. He One, he's, he, he likes to engage with people, have coffees, learn about people, share ideas, but he's also getting their take on mentorship. Mm. So there were a few of us who really gravitated to the idea. We luckily enough, through Alberta Human Services, uh, received a $50,000 grant through Kauai. And they allowed us to use those dollars to do a very extensive needs analysis across Canada. So we were able to look at mentorship programs specifically for Indigenous people. What we learned, and really no surprise to many people who, who, who know the Indigenous community, that there were very few programs that were specific to Indigenous people, especially in 2014. There were, where we saw the most opportunity was for Indigenous youth. You know, some of these were really children's services driven, or they were community things that you would find through friendship centers, things of that nature. Then there was this very large gap of during sort of high school through post-secondary and maybe into someone's career. Then we start seeing mentorship programs popping up for entrepreneurs, for people in uh, industry, things of that nature. It's more like team or personal development within a corporation. So we decided that we thought the greatest gap and where we could get the most impact and be able to, to see the most outcome data was at the post-secondary level. We thought like we thought it'd be great to have a program that started, you know, in middle school uh, so that you could really ensure that students were going to make it to post-secondary. But the concern we have, and primarily from a funding standpoint, was whether or not you could get enough outcome data quickly enough that people would say, yeah, this is viable and we, we should be funding it. And of course, that would be the best approach but we have realities, right, in this world and how we make this happen. So we built, we got all of our data together. We even looked outside of Canada, put together our information, and we formalized the concept, concept of influence mentoring. Mm -hmm. Built this by 2000, by the end of 2014, and unfortunately, anybody in Calgary will know 2014 was the beginning of one of the worst years for Alberta, maybe other than the very early uh, 80s. And for this kind of organization, the kind of funding you need is fairly substantial. And it primarily in Alberta comes from oil and gas. And it was the one area where there was no money and uh, people were losing jobs throngs of people were losing jobs and uh, we were just having a tough time getting it going. So for about six years, Bruce and I were talking to post-secondary institutions, typically the Indigenous centers and trying to, um, to gather some support and some following and we, we were getting it. But one of the issues was that we developed influence to be delivered online. And it was very specific. One, we were a grassroots organization with limited funding. And we also had spent a lot of time in mentorship and just understood the kind of time commitment a single mentorship conversation has or needs. So you've got the person who has to leave to go meet for the coffee. 
it, that then you maybe have a one hour conversation, but more likely it turns into an hour and a half or two hours. Then you've got to travel back. All of a sudden you've committed a whole morning or a whole afternoon. And we said, you know, this is, um, th that is an impediment to being able to deliver really good quality mentorship, or at least the good quality time that's needed to do the mentorship. The other thing that we ran into as a barrier with our mentorship program is we wanted it to be um, a discipline specific. We wanted, if an individual was becoming a lawyer, we wanted to get them a lawyer to be their mentor. We wanted them to understand the educational journey that they have, that they were on. Yeah. Uh, so that meant we had to find a person who believes in mentorship like a mentor, they have to be in a specific discipline. They have to want to mentor an Indigenous person. And they have to have passion. And they would have to be in the same region. So we said, that is a unicorn. This is a very <laughs> difficult individual to find. So we said, one of the major things that we could do to solve our issue is to get rid of the geographical need. Mm. So if we developed an online or a virtual, whether that was telephone or email or, uh, you know, at the time we were using Skype and things of that nature, we could really open the doors to a protege, and we call our mentees, we call them protégés at Influence. We could have a, a protege in Vancouver. We could have a mentor in Toronto who's a perfect fit for them. But because we got rid of the geographical restraint constraints, that we could have the best match possible. But we were running into issues, especially within our Indigenous community, that there was a lack of belief that online could be an effective way to mentor an Indigenous student. Also, we believe that mentors should be both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. And we were running into some issues with that uh, idea that we should be, that the idea that we wanted to emulate and exude the qualities of creating inclusive environments to represent what we are looking for. For our, for our community. And we said, if, if we can't do it, how could we possibly ask someone else to do it? So we're going through this six years of promoting our idea. We're all excited about it. And we have these down times. We have these up times where people are like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to try to help you, try to find some money. And COVID hits. COVID is the most unique Thing. And, and this isn't going to be unique for me to say to, to the listeners, but the most unique uh, thing happens for some groups. It's either the perfect storm that creates the most opportunity, or it's the perfect storm that destroys everything in its path. Fortunately for influence, it was the perfect storm that created everything we needed. Uh, online became the new normal. So people look at it and said, you thought of this in 2014? And we're like, yeah. And they're like, hmm, I, this sounds more opportunistic. <laughs> and we're like, no, no, this is truly, this is what we wanted to do. And, and it also created this time where people were in this self-reflection. And of course, the self-reflection dovetails so well with the, this conversation of TRC, calls to action, reconciliation, action, this now, this shift from TRC being the focus into DE&I, which happily sort of drags TRC along with it. And, you know, and it, unfortunately, it's, that's the reality, but that's really what's going on. We'll be lucky if it gets dragged along as we move into environmental, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but it, it created this amazing opportunity. And just by chance, uh, my mother, uh, what, what the two of us were reached out to, and there was this opportunity for high profile individual who wants to get engaged with the indigenous community, community in Canada, grassroots, 
and wants to get involved. So we don't know who it is. Marie has a conversation. Turns out it's Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively. They reach out and they want to engage. And luckily enough, got an opportunity and they decided in their third round of supports to support influence. So they gave influence $250,000 to get this launched. Like unbelievable opportunity. So then it creates this opportunity because from a, from a, 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 a media standpoint, it opens the floodgates to people hearing about something quickly. So the, although the money really allowed us to build out the rest of the organization throughout uh, 2021 so that we could be here today and do our mentoring, um, it created a greater wave of conversation and knowledge about who we are. And that was invaluable. And the only way that would have happened was through celebrity. Yeah. That's the only way. Yeah. And luckily enough, the celebrity that we were afforded came from two individuals who are selfless. And we only know that they're selfless because of the language that they use with us, the shared uh, care, where maybe others who see what's happening, they don't know that part. They might think, oh, these individuals are just looking to get their name out there. And, and, and it's not them. That, that's not what they're doing. And we just got this amazing opportunity. But it brings us all the way to where we are today. We have um, relationships now, formal relationships with SAIT, the Polytechnic in Calgary, with University of Lethbridge, uh, First Nations University in Regina. We've got conversations happening with six or eight other institutions across Canada. Um, we've got all sorts of industry partners that have come forward that are bringing us mentors, they're bringing us other financial supports and in-kind supports. And we can truly get to the business of ensuring that we are creating this unique environment for post-secondary students. So we are just completely blessed. Yeah. There is no way to other way to put it. It doesn't matter how good of an idea, how much work you've put in, there is a component of luck that has to strike at the right time for these things to come to fruition. And now at a time where social programs are being decimated at an, at an unbelievable rate, uh, to find some vein of success in that is nothing short of a miracle. Right. <laughs> Wow, what a great story. And I'm so glad you told me a bit about Ryan Reynolds and his wife. I'm sorry, is her, her name Blake Lively? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't know. She's a country singer, right? Mm -mm. She's an actress. As soon as you saw her, you would recognize her. Um, okay. I mean, they're just such a kind, such a kind couple. Yeah. Um, the way they talk and you know, their passion of why they're doing this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. they amazing. also were really high profile during the pandemic because they were pro vaccine, you know? And so I, I really thought that they, they really highlighted themselves in a good way during the pandemic. Um, not, not in a self-serving way in a, Hey, we're rich, we're famous. We should probably use this in a good way. So kind of back to your point about that self-reflecting a lot of Canadian, a lot of everybody globally had to do because we're all stuck at home in a pe global pandemic. <laughs> so what a wonderful couple. I'm so happy to hear that. I remember seeing that now that you say it. And I remember thinking this could be really good for everybody. And it sounds like it has been. So that makes me really happy. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, Colby, but I graduated high school in 94 in a predominantly white town. Um, I had barely passed math. I was really good at it. So I skipped like 90% of it. So I, I thank you, my math teacher, for giving me a 50 when I may not have earned it, but I did pass. And um, 
I just assumed I was going to go to university at the time because I had a status card and that just meant you got free university, right? And then I, I had reality hit me and I ended up working full time in a print shop while biking up to SAIT and, uh, and learning a little bit about post-secondary. And I, it, was, it was hard trying to get drafting under my, my belt enough to work in the industry, but I did. I finally got there. And at that time, there wasn't even a, an Indigenous... Um, office at SATE. Uh, there is one now. I want to say it's Chinook Lodge. And, and, and that's been renamed. And thank God for them. I'm so grateful that uh, these institutions are really starting to create these safer spaces for Indigenous people, bringing in Indigenous speakers, Indigenous elders, and trying to help uh, that transition from, you know, I mean, everybody struggles from K to 12 to go into university but you know if you don't understand indigenous people then the barriers there are just so incredible so i'm really happy that there's so much partnership with all these different um centers at all these post-secondary institutions as well because it, i mean this is how we're going to create more success for sure so yeah um did you want to uh tell us a little more about how if if we have a, I don't know, 15-year-old daughter going to Jack James or, or any other place here, and they're thinking about post-secondary, how would we even start accessing something like this? Yeah, so, you know, I think what we're seeing first is there are collective organizations, not necessarily working as a collective, but serving our community in different ways. So right now we're seeing efforts of Inspire, you know, group like Influence, uh, other uh, community organizations, and they're, and they're plentiful, um, all serving little different areas. And whenever we talk about it, we talk about the continuum of what on the trajectory that a person who's willing to take control of their own um, opportunities and future that they can seek these out. And I think that's the one of the greatest and first barriers is where do I even find supports? How do I even know that supports exist? And I think what the maybe the big, uh, the, the the mysticism around this is believing that some that all others have all the knowledge and that's why they get it and I think there is some privilege uh, that occurs but I think more than anything we have to actively go out and seek out these opportunities we have to do the work and say I think I need this or I want this how do I get there and I think most of us would do it through mentorship. And I don't mean formal mentorship. I mean, going, talking to your uncle, talking to your parents, talking to a friend and saying, I want to do this. I want to do this in my life. How do I get there? And I always talk about this, about the idea of having the opportunity to dream that one of the biggest gaps in our community is that there's a lack of knowledge or understanding of what's available or could be afforded to us, which hinders our ability to dream. And when we are exposed to things, we learn that something is out there and we have this opportunity to go after it. And people say, well, that's for everyone. Well, it isn't. If you don't know, if you live in the Amazon rainforest and you don't realize that there are cars that drive people around and you could travel, and not that an Amazonian person, Indigenous person would want that, they actually wouldn't want it, but without them even knowing about it, they have no ability to even dream the idea of uh, technological trans transportation. And we see that in a place like Canada for marginalized people. So we need to overcome that barrier so we can create this ability to dream. But if an individual happens to be able to find themselves on the path to post-secondary, they're especially coming out of our community 
there are certain barriers that others wouldn't face. Some of that is an individual coming from a reserve who has never left home before. They're not able to bring their family with them. They are in an environment that is very unfamiliar, difficult to probably say the least, and is the hardest academic work you've ever done in your life. And most students, marginalized or not, have a very difficult first year in yeah. post-secondary. Yeah. So what does that individual need? I, th I think that individual needs a support network. It, I, I, I heard this analogy and I, I loved it. And it's the idea of your own personal board of directors. Each board of, each director brings some kind of knowledge, just like in governance. One person's an expert in communications, another one's an expert in a particular, this area that you serve. So you build your own personal board. And that, that group of people can give you the kind of information that you're seeking. That's one influence mentoring is one of those components. So if you're an Indigenous person, you're in going to post-secondary, and you don't know what you need, but you think you need some support, you come to influence, you tell us what you're looking for, tell us what, what area of discipline you're going after in post-secondary, we go out and we find a mentor that's best suited to you. Mm. Hopefully we do a great job, we find the right person. Uh, maybe we, we don't hit it quite right the first time, so we go out and find you another individual. Maybe in your first year, your first mentor was fantastic, but now you need something new going into your second year, so we go find you a mentor suited for that. And at the same time, we help to play a role in you being able to create the SMART goals that you're going to utilize to, to see and achieve this success. And we help you to be able to catalog and monitor that progress through your, through your academic journey. The our what we've done is we've removed all the barriers mm. so the only two things you need to have is you need to be indigenous and you need to be in some continuing education so this isn't just for uh university or college you can be in polytechnic you could be at a trade school uh that's only you know for certain trades uh you could be at a cooking school you could be anywhere as long as you're in some continuing education you could also be a 65-year-old individual who decided you wanted to get your PhD. And you said, you know, I really could use some mentoring through this. This is a very difficult journey. We'll find you a mentor too. So, <laughs> you know, and then the other barrier that we've removed is that although we enter into formal partnerships with post-secondaries, you don't have to be at an institution that we're partnered with. You could come of your own volition Go onto the website, uh, fill out the application, and we'll find you a mentor. We are looking to serve as many Indigenous people as possible, mm. create an environment where that individual has the greatest opportunity to build social capital and to play a very active role in ensuring their own success um, in their career. And that's what we're most excited about, mm -hmm. that we believe that this active participation in social capital growth, building a social network and a peer group, so that once you are out in the world, you might possibly already have a few hundred Indigenous and non-Indigenous connections that are all across Canada, yeah. So you can start building this, um, uh, these connections and this ability of, of reaching true success uh, in whatever you see as uh, your path of success um, and, and, and having some kind of control over that. And I think that's maybe the part that a lot of us feel, not just Indigenous, that we've got no control over where we're currently at. So we're hoping that we play a small part 
in being able to create an environment that um, is uh, uh, is one that is progressive and uh, and supportive. Oh, hallelujah. Holy. I wish, you know, and I was really lucky to have aunts and uncles that did go through post-secondary. And so I knew it was possible, but I, I didn't have the confidence that my auntie had to just be like, go and then just build a government. They, they, they owe it to you for treaty rights. And I was like, you know, 17 year old little girl. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Um, you know, really dealing with a lot of my own trauma. So not sure how to deal with any of that. So I, I think it's so important to have an organization like yours doing this, trying to help other people moving forward. And, you know, it's funny when you talked about having this network that's national. Um, I've tried to explain that to people about becoming involved in politics. One, because I want to see democracy better, but two, you know, like once you're part of a party, it's a national thing. So I'm not a big fan of the conservative party, but we're in Calgary, Alberta, and a lot of people are. So, um, you know, that's a national network for folks. Um, I'm a liberal. That's a national network, the NDP national network. So that that way you have choices so that if Sam or my daughter, if she has to go to Ottawa, I know at least five people that I think she could safely, you know, have her supported with. So to me, I think it's so valuable, but I also got that out of sea cadets. Um, you know, I was in sea cadets and I, I knew people across the country and I knew their cores, like I, there was an infrastructure, right? So, um, to me, this is such valuable, important understanding. And, you know, I've been watching a lot of our Indigenous folks uh, struggle in post-secondary and academia in general, not because of, um, you know, just, just because the, the barriers are there. And sometimes it's the first time you're away from home dealing with some traumas that you're like, holy, um, it's hard enough being in your 20s, or your late teens and your 20s, right? Let alone trying to go through a process like that. So to me, this is so invaluable. It, it, it's so, so needed, necessary. It should have been in place years ago. I'm glad it's in place now. And um, I'll, I'll put the links on how to contact you and your organization in the uh, share when we share this uh, podcast. And is there anything else that you'd like to add before we, uh, I'll have to have you back as many times as you'd like to come back to launch any program. But if there's anything else that you'd like to share, please do. Yeah, you no, know, I, all I wanted to say is, I really like uh, your analogy and the tie back to the sea cadets. You know, this idea of alumni or this sense of belonging. And of course, when it's somewhere where there are no limitations, you know, if you want to be a part of it, you can. And I think that's the great part about whether it's uh, scouts or girl guides or sea cadets or even being a part of an alumni at a post-secondary institution. I was just at the awards, the U of C alumni awards, and you could just feel it. You know, and these were people from all walks of life and have done amazing things and being acknowledged for the work that they've done. And I just, that sense of belonging really gives you so much and is so powerful. And I think, I know when we talk about influence and we talk about the continuum effect of it we talk about it as being alumni and the fact that we know that proteges coming out of the system should become mentors and be able not only that pay it forward but that idea of truly creating this ecosystem of uh, an environment where people just go yeah like i'm proud i'm proud to be an influence, you know, alumni. I'm proud to be able to say that I came from this, including the mentors, the mentors themselves to be able to say, yeah, like I'm a part of this. And I, and I don't think this is exclusive to influence. I think this is what we all need to be focused on and find the different areas that really gravitate for all people in you know from the indigenous community and non-indigenous community to feel that support yeah i think while we walk through all of this right now in this society we find ourselves in in these times we find ourselves in the divisiveness i don't i think people have probably felt the most alone mm. even when they're not alone and how how do we sort of counteract some of the things that we're going through and I talk, I talk a lot about this idea of getting back 
to neighborly ways. What happened to the times where Farmer Joe ran into trouble and the other farmers, once they turned their fields, they came and helped Joe get his field in. No money, no interest, just support, you know? And I think that's a time that we need to get back to that. And we're going to do it in ways that you would say, well, that's not really the same thing. It's like, well, no, it is because we're talking about support. So I so appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak with you, Michelle, and uh, just to be able to get the word out and uh, about what's available to, to everybody, you know, just not Indigenous, not just our Indigenous community, just what's available for all of us to come together. So thank you so much for that. Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful you come on to talk about these things. And I know for me, um, you know, uh, Casey Eagle speaker says that education is the new Buffalo. And I like to give him credit for that on a regular basis, because, you know, he survived Indian residential school, it's the very least that we should be doing is crediting that. So we actually got permission from him to use that education is the new Buffalo when uh, launching the um, chaos initiative about the current uh, Canada learning bond, because it you know, to me, it, it it is that important that in this world, in this time, we have to work on that. But it is a part of our treaty, right? Like there, there should be better um, help with all of that. And um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action with education. To me, you're you're living that. You're part of that. Uh, trying to fulfill that mandate in the best way that we can. So to me, everything you're doing is the right thing to be doing forward. And uh, these are things I want our youth to know. I want our communities to know, like, if I know, then I'm going to help my daughter. But if, you know, auntie knows that maybe they can help their niece and nephew or, or whichever. So to me, it's really important to talk about these things. And that was kind of the impetus of having a podcast was that, you know, I love the um, other news media. Uh, I just felt like there wasn't really a place to hear what is the Indigenous community doing? Because I know we're doing lots of things. And when I tell people, they're like, oh, I didn't know. And and it's like, how can you not know? <laughs> how can you not know? It, it's everywhere. What are you talking about? But, uh, you know, so this is just another medium to try to get that information out there so that I'm grateful you're here to talk about it. So thank you. And uh, yeah, I hope you come back whenever you get an opportunity to talk about whatever new initiative you are. And you can tell Blake and Ryan, they're allowed to, you know, like I'm about reconciliation with the settlers so they can come if they want. <laughs> awesome. I will, I will pass that on yeah, and uh, looking forward to coming back and, and speaking with you. So thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Colby. And you're welcome to stay. But if you have another meeting, I understand. But thank you for being yeah. here. And I'm just going to start talking and you're welcome to jump in as I go. So thanks, Colby. Sounds good. Thank awesome. you. So much. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so folks who are listening, and maybe this is your first time listening, I have a book club. Uh, November 14th is our National Inquiry, Chapter 7 and 8, Volume 1A. So even if you can't join my book club, I uh, highly recommend you consider reading it. On December 12th, we're going to be lucky enough to host uh, Bruce McIver. He has a book called Standoff. So maybe that could be something you could read or come join us. Don't hesitate to reach out to me to uh, be a part of our book club. Uh, we also have a reconciliation action group so if you actually want to do some of the work that needs to be done locally join some sort of group or create a committee if you don't already have one here in all in calgary we have the reconciliation action group and we've had uh, st paul on and there's committees there and there are other committees all across the country so please consider doing part of that work and you can hear colby speak in um such good ways about what it was like to partner with uh, some folks who were interested in actually doing reconciliation work. Um, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions, included cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, to speak. Uh, you can go to heretohelp.bc.ca. Uh, there's a piece of what is Indigenous cultural safety, why I should care about it by Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin. Uh, their work and those cultural action tools are available. Please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat them here. Uh, internalized racism. 
lateral violence, these are forms of uh, violence indigenous people face, uh, marginalized groups face because of the structure of racism. So you can go to racialequitytools.org. Thank you, Donna Bevins, for what is internalized racism. There's a PDF there and tons of other information for folks who are interested in, you know, um, undoing white supremacy on the inside. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. So this is a really good uh, resource for folks who maybe see a woman that's being accosted on a C train or, or something to that effect. Uh, you can go to afsc.org and there's a do's and don'ts by standard intervention. And I also recommend you just Google and you will find more information. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing trauma, uh, reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. And I'm just going to give a shout out to the UCP for trying to um, have a uh, policy coming through their convention that's like, we don't want to feel bad about our race and we don't want to talk about equity. So they're putting forward a policy to basically uh, stop people from talking about race in any, any way, which of course is not part of uh, reconciliation in any capacity. It's anti-reconciliation. So um, I tell you this because if you are a UCP member, this is an opportunity for you to vote against that policy. And many folks online have said this is a step one towards book banning. And I know I witnessed federally uh, Jason Kenney and Stephen Harper actually burn and throw out scientific reports during their federal uh, um, elected term office. And of course, provincially, Jason Kenney has been ridiculous. I, I, I will never understand why people like him in any capacity. Um, I have a lot I could say about that. But at the end of the day, they're attacking our children's curriculum in a different way now. So if this matters to you, and it should, this is something that we should be stopping. And if they put it forward and it passes, I really hope you consider who you're putting your vote behind, because that is going to hurt everybody in the long run. Because the thing about white supremacy and racism, it hurts white kids too. And the reason why is like reconciliation and people always do their shock. Oh my God, I didn't know this happened here. Well, that's white supremacy. So you're being traumatized by your own people. So I hope you consider with the bigger picture here. Um, Gender Equity Plus, there's actually a whole uh, website devoted to that um, if they're cutting violence prevention. Uh, so actually, Colby and I talked about Kwai. It was Stephen Harper who cut Kwai's funding. So that's why it disbanded in order for Colby to be doing this work. Um, you know, it, it's a sad reflection about some of the things that have happened. Now that said, and obviously a lot has happened with the pandemic and um, and the crash of the economy in a different way as well. So I don't want to just throw Stephen Harper under the bus, but I do want to mention that, you know, when you cut violence prevention programs, and I was thinking about um, Rona Ambrose, who some people champion as some kind of feminist hero. She was the one who cut the funding for the Sisters and Spirit vigils. She was the one who cut um, NWAC's funding. And, uh, you know, these are the things that led to a higher number of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, because you've cut the uh, structural operations of Kwais, you've cut the NWAC's uh, work, and now you have a disproportionate amount of people in jails dead. It's, it's unforgivable, in my opinion. Um, so if you're seeing cuts to education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, lack of human rights for immigrants, migrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Uh, today, we are seeing folks with disabilities that are getting approved for uh, doctor-assisted suicide as opposed to just getting affordable housing. Um, know that your vote to these parties directly negatively impact marginalized people, uh, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, 231 calls to uh, justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit, provincially here in Alberta, 
the Kenny government created 113 pathways to justice. So again, hold your blue MLAs to account on it. Follow the new premier's council on missing and murdered indigenous women girls work. Municipally, we have the white goose flying report. So you can imagine how pissed I was when they did this anti-racism outreach, totally ignoring all the years that the indigenous people and not just giving them the TRC and the White Goose Flying Report, but, but talked about all this racism. We were so gaslit. Anyway, denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Um, our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational health, media, institutions, all of it, with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians, media outlets, every, education, everybody. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they have zero business running, UCP. This should be understood by all parties, UCP and local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything I talked about today and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855 uh, sorry. 855-242-3310. Uh, you can also go to help hopeforwellness.ca and they have a text option for missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit. You can call 844-413-6649. And for non-Indigenous, you can call usually a functioning 211 in your area, or you can call 833-456-4566. And the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta, you can find at ssisa.ca. And we had a wonderful march. And um, uh, Susan, her, uh, her dream came to fruition. We had a, a nice event with uh, lots of folks talking about an issue of being a scooped kid. And I hope that folks understand that today children are being apprehended because of racism and sexism and discriminatory policies. And your, grand, your grandkids and your great grandkids are going to judge you harshly. So if you are electing people who won't even acknowledge racism, of course, our children are going to continue to be apprehended. And just like the Bryce report in what 1906 that was that told Canadians they were killing disproportionately Indigenous children and Canadians did nothing then, you have a choice. You can do nothing now or you can do something. And you, it starts with who you vote for. And if your MLA is one of these people denying, your constituency association denies systemic racism then i don't know what to tell you you need to vote these people out um you can also if you see or experience racism in alberta you can text at uh 587-507-3838 maybe i'll text them the uh, ucp policy that's coming up for a vote and see what they do <laughs> The following are two SLGBTQ2 plus supports. I uh, want to give a big shout out, obviously, to the Trevor Project for funding this. Um, Lifevoice.ca has tons of different crisis supports. For trans, you can call 877-330-6366. For youth, 866-844-7386. We have a drug crisis right now, um, uh, drug poisoning, I should say. So if you are using substances, please don't use alone. If you are using alone, please consider calling 888-688-NORS for the National Overdose Response Service. And also you can download two apps. There's a Brave uh, app and a Doors app, and you can use those. If you are First Nation status in this province of Alberta, you can create a relationship with your pharmacist with those Narcan sprays and get one a day. And I highly recommend you do. I just heard a story yesterday of one of the ones that I had helped somebody that I know or know of, um, you know, a little far removed. But the point is, is that our people, uh, not just Indigenous people, but Albertans are dying from drug crisis um, by not having safe supply, by having these Christian um, abstinence only uh, over policing policies. And this needs to stop.
violence is my everyday reality. Uh, every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how I take my power back, how we start creating media that's more Indigenous-led instead of non-Indigenous-led. Uh, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion. I sure want to tell us there's usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, the constant surveillance of our people, our protests, our rights. I and many others share info on microaggressions daily. It is unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn to be trauma-informed. People like me are dealing with internalized racism and gatekeeping, folks that live off the status quo <laughs> and people who are so in their trauma that they deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous folks and Indigenous people in general, disabilities, LGBTQ2+, QT, BIPOC, Masicho to my ancestors, to my granny and my mama, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. I always say my stepmom for showing me a proud culture through her Austrian family and roots, but I should probably add after what Colby had said, through her side, I, I get to see what new immigrants, the racism that they experience. I got to witness that growing up too and try to understand that. I couldn't at the time, but now that I'm older, I do. So I, I really appreciate her being in my life, them being in my life so that I, I knew, I learned. Um, I want to thank them for teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her, I am a second generation. And thank you to my husband, Big Buffalo Rock Man, uh, for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the red road. He has witnessed decades of sexism and racism and to our child thunderpipe necklace woman who we are blessed to learn from daily. I am honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My, I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues. Uh, to folks who uh, may not know, I have a Patreon account. It's Native Calgarian. You can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving side-eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin responded, are you a bee in my dish? <laughs> Thank you folks for listening. And uh, yeah, I hope, I hope you learned something. I know I did from Colby.